Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. And a happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension Lifetime Master Gardener. Garden columnist with the Lodi New Sentinel, the guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com. All the ranting at the Farmer Fred Ramp blog page at Twitter.com slash FarmerFredDailyGardenTips. Lots of snark. Uh, what else is there? Well, you got your basic uh, <laughs> TikTok, Fred. Why are you on TikTok? Anyway, he's there, along with uh, other such entities as uh, YouTube, Instagram, Pinterest, and, of course, Strava, where you can keep track of how far I ride my bike every week. What was it this past week, Fred? Uh, I have to look it up. I'm glad I'm home here, sheltered in place. I have all the information at my fingertips Let's see, 21 and 20 is 41, plus 31 is 72, plus 33 would be 105. All right, 105 miles. Uh, I do it for my health. I hope you do something for your health, too, like gardening. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Hey, what a great idea for a garden show. (laughs) Okay, we're going to do that. And we're going to talk with another garden person. Which is even better, Marlene Simon, the plant lady. You see her on Channel 31 on Sunday mornings, and uh, maybe you listen to her uh, podcast, the uh, Flower Power Garden Hour. And she has great YouTube videos as well. And uh, she's local, over in the Winters area. So we'll be talking uh, with Marlene about uh, succulents and mulching and lavender and maybe how to irrigate during whipsaw weather. Yes, we are entering. Oh, by the way, one more thing that uh, is filling my day these days is a new podcast, the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. I started it in April. It is geared towards beginning gardeners. It's only a half hour long. It comes out twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. But you're going to learn something new every episode. I I do. And it's... uh, even though it's geared towards beginning gardeners, uh, anybody can learn a lot from it. And it, uh, like I say, it, it it dishes out on Tuesday and Friday. And uh, we've been talking, a lot of uh, people are interested in taking care of the soil, growing tomatoes, growing peppers. The latest episode uh, talked about growing apple trees and which varieties are best. So that's up there. Look for it. It's called the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Thank you for supporting it. All right. Let's talk the weather. Whipsaw weather again. Week three. Current temperature in Sacramento, 66 degrees. Now, a few days at this time, it was closer to 86, getting up eventually to 103. Today's high expected to be 74 Tomorrow's high, 84. Tuesday's high, 92. Wednesday's high, 96. You get the idea? Then Thursday, it's 92. And then Friday, it's down to 85. And Saturday, it's down to 82. How the heck are you supposed to water your plants when the weather is doing all that? To complicate matters is the wind. It has been quite windy lately. And there is a red flag warning posted from tonight at uh, 8 p.m., I do believe it starts, oh, 11 p.m. this evening to 8 p.m. Monday evening for low humidity and breezy northerly winds. The National Weather Service in Sacramento has issued this red flag warning. It uh, includes the northern San Joaquin and southern Sacramento Valley, as well as the western side of these valleys into the Delta region 
for north to northwest winds to 20 miles an hour with gusts to 30 miles an hour. And daytime humidity is falling to around 10% with, uh, as they would put it, locally poor overnight recoveries. The, hi- the highest threat, the National Weather Service warns us, would be near any existing wildfires. Unfortunately, there is a wildfire. It's over in Solano County, uh, north of Vacaville, south of Highway 505, sort of northwest of Vacaville. And it's called the, uh, I think they're calling it the Quail Fire for where it started near Quail Canyon Road and Pleasance Valley Road, southwest of Winters. 1,400 acres have burned. It's only 10% contained. We hope the winds today at least stay calm until tonight. And if uh, the winds cooperate today, maybe they can get that blaze under control and at least surrounded uh, so it won't spread uh, before the winds kick up later tonight and go through tomorrow. So, again, that's the uh, quail fire. So be aware of that. Oh, my heavens. (laughs) It's just like, what else else are we going to get thrown with? (laughs) Yeah, this is an interesting time we live in, isn't it? All right. Fred, stick to gardening. Okay. Uh, We answer your garden questions on this program. You can phone them in. And the phone number is here, 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Email, send them to fred at farmerfred.com. You can leave questions as well at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page or at my Twitter page, which is at farmerfred. The Instagram page, which is at Farmer Fred Hoffman, uh, wherever fine questions are left, we'll tackle them. When Marlene gets here at 815, she'll help me out, and I need help. All right, uh, coming up at 11 o'clock, we'll have a garden grappler, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two, and we have a special grand prize for Caller 5 during today's garden grappler. It's a peach tree. Hmm, what kind of peach tree, Fred? Well, I'll tell you later. Okay, all right. Also on this program, you know what today is? It's the anniversary of Prince's birthday. He was born on this date 62 years ago. He passed away, of course, uh, two years ago, a year and a half ago, whatever it was. Uh, And we actually had an episode honoring Prince on this program. We will revisit that where a local artist, Christine Stein, in Citrus Heights, had this sort of -of out-of-control Photinia bush that she made into Prince's hair. It it, it really is amazing. I should post a picture of that again. Uh, And so we're going to revisit that segment with Christine Stein here on uh, the anniversary of Prince's birthday. And we will talk about Christine's Photinia Prince. It it really is a nice piece of artwork. I don't know if it's still up or not as far as, I mean, I don't think she got rid of the uh, uh, Photinia. But uh, I wonder if Prince is still there. I bet it still is. Maybe she'll let me know. But anyway, we will be revisiting that uh, interview with Christine Stein about her Photinia Prince. Prince. And then we're going to be talking about planting of a vegetable that does get planted this time of year you may know very little about called parsnips. So we'll do that. Talk with Marlene, have a garden grappler too. So plenty to do. Thank you, Cameron, for uh, working the board back there at the radio station. I, of course, am sheltered in place here uh, in uh, Folsom. Uh, 
peering through the abutilon jungle outside my window. And this is a fast-growing shrub with beautiful orange-yellow flowers that attract all sorts of hummingbirds. I am still amazed that uh, in March, or it may have been early April, I cut this thing back easily by half. It was like eight feet tall. I cut it to four feet tall. It's back to eight feet tall already, six weeks later. Rather amazing. I also noticed, uh, as I stare out the window here, um, the fig tree is teasing me with what look like ripe figs. The necks on the figs are bending, so you think, oh, that's a clue. But then you go and you feel the figs, and they're not quite ripe yet. There's no give to the fruit. It's way too hard. So never mind. Keep fooling me. But what is ready to harvest, I noticed, as I peer through the abutilon into the sun, I see that the garlic and the onions are ready to harvest. And I looked it up. I, th I thought, wow, this seems kind of early. But I looked it up in my garden notes from last year. And last year on June 6th, I had harvested garlic and onions. So I know what I'm doing after 12 o'clock today or 1 o'clock. I'll be harvesting garlic and onions. Check yours. With uh, garlic, usually the stalks might start falling over. And even if they're not falling over, check the size of the bulbs. By the way, when it comes to harvesting garlic and onions, don't yank them out of the ground. Dig under them. And I would use a trowel instead of a spading fork just because a spading fork might pierce the bulbs. So get a few inches away from what looks like the edge of either the onion or the garlic and go deep and then pop it up and then take a look. Now, it's not quite ready yet as far as uh, edibility goes. It needs to cure for a while, so keep the stalks on, the onions and the garlic. Put them in a shady area with good ventilation all around it and, and let them cure for a couple of weeks. And then you can store them in a cool, dry place, either with the stems or without the stems. The choice at that point, after a couple of weeks, is yours. I mean, you could, if, you, if you're in a hurry to use the garlic or the onions, you could break into it now. But I would wait a couple of weeks after you dig them up. And then, of course, they store well. As long as you keep them in a cool, dry place, onions and garlic will keep for months. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we're talking with Marlene Simon, the plant lady, as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. It's a pleasure to welcome back to this program the plant lady, Marlene Simon. Marlene, of course, you see her on Channel 31 every other Sunday morning with Garden Tips. She's also the host and producer of the Flower Power Garden Hour podcast. And she has plenty of videos up there on social media, on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, so you can check those out. She also has a real job, too. Thank God. The UC Davis Botanical Conservatory in Davis is where she is the staff horticulturist, where Marlene grows and cares for over 3,000 species of the world's most exotic rare plants and flowers. Marlene, it sounds like you were born to be in the dirt. Uh, yeah, maybe I was born in the dirt. I don't know. Maybe the, my mom <laughs> lied and said she had me in a hospital. I don't know. <laughs> Do you have any farmers in your background? None. None at all. Um, probably some maybe uh, Irish potato farmers, maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. 
But, but you know, um, no. It turns out, you know, my, my aunt is the only one who really likes to garden. My grandma in her later years liked to garden, but really no no gardeners in my family even. So You may yeah. want to have a discussion with your mother about who was around when you were born and just get that or straightened conceived. out. <laughs> yes, or conceived, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I just, you know what, it all started with flowers. I just love flowers. And when I was younger, my mom told me a story that I, I was so proud that I came running towards her because I picked her one gardenia off of oh. her, her plants. You know, she did try to garden and grow a few things, but not seriously. So, um, yeah, I would have to order bulbs off the backside of, you know, the parade magazine that came on the Sunday. Sure. So, yeah. Well, good. So that's, good. That's All right. I started gardening. All right, so you didn't collect army soldiers as a as a child. You collected uh, flower seeds. Uh, yes, and I would dig up weeds and transplant them for fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it, and you got oh. it bad, girl. All yeah. Right. <laughs> All right, you know, speaking of uh, flowers and cut flowers, uh, Dave from Galt writes in, in the emails that people can send to Fred at FarmerFred.com and asks, he says, I'm having a hard time finding some carnation plants. I'm looking for the large variety, any color. Do you have any suggestions? I looked all over online. Uh, Yeah, if you go online looking for carnations, you'll find the cut flowers, but the plants themselves, maybe some larger place like Spring Hill Nursery might have them. You, You don't see carnations that often in a nursery you don't and when you do see them they are more of the dwarf ones but i would check out um annie's annual um her name's sort of misleading because it's not just annual she has of course perennials but she specializes in all the um sort of flowers of the past um she's really into the big as i call it gaudy flowers and cottage gardens and things that just aren't grown anymore that's sort of been phased out because people were going smaller and more compact and um so you could buy them online and you could also visit her nursery in richmond which is pretty amazing um place um but she has <laughs> and i know because i get carnations from her that they're the you know the taller size not just the small dwarf dianthus yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, thank you for uh, clarifying that. It, it just occurred to me that, yeah, carnations belong to the genus Dianthus, don't they? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just went to Annie's site, and sure enough, she has one called Bliss, or the Perpetual Carnation. A large, four inches across, frilly-edged, creamy blooms are lightly scented and gorgeously ornamented with rosy apricot streaks. So pretty, you'll want to eat them, which you totally can do, she says. Carnations are edible. Do you ever eat a carnation? Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I, I picked some petals. They're pretty uh, spicy. You know, it's like almost like eating nasturtium mm. uh, seed, seed. You know, it's, they've got a little kick to them. Well, Dave, uh, there, there's your yeah, answer. She, she, yeah, and she might be sold out. You know, we're getting towards the end of the major planting season you know it's still doable but you know we're coming into the heat so uh you do have to be careful about what you plant but i would check her out okay that's a good that's a good resource yeah annie's annuals is the only nursery i know of that is surrounded by concertina wire yeah exactly yeah but once you go through it man it's it's her display garden 
But of course, look where she lives. That that bay bay climate. Whew. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That I mean, that area uh-huh. of Richmond is like the Garden of Eden. Man, you could, I mean, the, the climate is perfect. So you do have to be careful, you know, when you buy plants. So, you know, as you say, gardening is local. So if you even move out of our little microclimate or our climate here, uh, it's quite different. So plants are growing and adapted to that location, even in in the nursery. So you do have to be, be careful because, you know, if, if a label says, oh, we'll take full sun in the summer, they're writing it from their side, which is, a bay summer, which is much different than our summer. Yeah, exactly. She has some amazing plants there. It it, it really yeah. is a fun nursery to visit. It is, and, and she has good speed. You have you have even spoken there, haven't you? I have. I spoke uh, la- there last year, and I was slated to speak again this year. But of course, all all garden talks have been canceled. Some have been moved on to Zoom. Some of my uh, master gardener talks have been moved on to Zoom, but. For the most part, everything's sort of been just shut down. But, yeah, yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's sad. Yeah. Maybe eventually someday we will all get back together and do what we normally do. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I'm sure we will. I'm sure I, we will. I, I'm not so sure about that, but I hope so anyway. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. Uh, as I mentioned over on the KFPK Garden Show, a lot of people are are sending in questions uh, via the the Facebook page. And Mm -hmm. uh, Dave, uh, I don't know where Dave lives, but he says, uh, eight years ago, I got some avocados from my dad who lived outside of Tampa, Florida. We planted one Mm -hmm. of the seeds just for fun, and behold, it started growing. It has become quite the tree, but I have never seen a flower or fruit on the tree. It's been eight years. Mm -hmm. Do you have any ideas? Yes, Dave, move to Florida. (laughs) Or Ventura. Um, Or, yeah, or if you really want a fruiting avocado sooner than, say, 10 years, you have to buy them grafted and from the nursery. Um, you, the growing from a seed, it's so variable what, what you're going to get because they don't necessarily come true to seed and it's going to take years and years for it to fruit. My aunt has an avocado. It took 20 years for it to flower. And then even then they can self pollinate. They will self pollinate, but it's always a good idea to have another one nearby. And then of course you get into the type A type B. Yeah. Flowers, so you know it's it's they grow fine from a a, a seed, but they're not going to uh, produce for quite a while from from that. Yeah, exactly. There are some varieties of avocados that do handle the cold a little bit better, at mm-hmm. least the cold we have here, yeah. uh, as yeah. opposed to no chill down in Santa Barbara or uh, San Diego. Oh, uh, yeah. So, and chances are that Florida one was a very tropical. Uh, avocado variety hard to say which variety it was but uh, up in our area when people are starting uh, avocado trees from pits it's generally uh, a Haas avocado which which loves uh, Ventura Santa Barbara San Diego not so much here yeah and then you get brown leaf tips um, from just the lack of humidity and uh, any boron or salt, too. So I just tell people, if you're growing one, just expect brown on, on the tips of your avocado, especially if you're off of a well or you don't have that nice uh, uh, Sacramento water. If you have harsher water, it's just going to happen. But, yeah, you know, they're, 
they're fun. I mean, you know, it's a challenge. And if you get avocado, I mean, great. Share them with me. <laughs> well, I know how this story goes because I'm the one that is consistently saying uh, they're very hard to grow here. And I will get emails mm-hmm. and pictures of people with their backyard avocado trees here in Sacramento that are harvesting avocados. And all I can say is good for you. Yeah, there's always exceptions. Same thing. Actually, a friend of mine has what he said an arborist said was the biggest um, Sacramento. It's wedged between two large plants, and you know it's in his, in his, in the urban setting. So you've got more temperatures, you know, warm temperatures there, and he has really good water. But I think being placed between against a fence and two bigger trees. It enabled it to just be protected from from the cold. So don't plant it right out in the back 40 open with no protection. Exactly. Something that has protection from the hot summer sun and yet has Mm -hmm. also warmth in the wintertime from Mm -hmm. either surrounding foliage or west or south facing walls and maybe a, a nearby concrete patio to help reflect heat back up into the plant at night. Exactly. So, yeah, it, it's doable if you find that perfect location. Uh, I've tried. I've failed. I haven't even tried. I don't blame you. <laughs> but yeah, no, actually, you should try it. No, I, I should. I should. But it's, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I should. Give it a shot. Right. Go ahead. I will. I'll give okay. it a shot. All right. What the heck? <laughs> I like to share failure. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. I just grow so many strange things at work, you know. So I know what it's even like, you know, growing the strange tropicals. Of course, they're in a greenhouse, but sometimes I push them by putting them outside. Like, hey, let's see what you could do. Oops, I forgot to move you in for the winter, and you didn't do so well. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. We've all been there. All right. Yeah. Welcome to the Whiny Garden Host Show. Uh, it's, <laughs> two people just sit and complain. No, we're not complaining. We're just talking about reality of gardening. That's all. And that exactly. you know, that is one thing I think every gardener does when you visit a gardener, and you know gardeners. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. When you take them to, when you go into their yard and you just see all this beauty, all they're going to point out are the weeds or the failures or the mistakes. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, yeah. come on, people, wake up to the beauty around you. I know. I, I, would, I do two things. In the morning before I leave to work, I, because I don't have time to work on anything, I will look at the positive. And it's not until then I do my afternoon walk that then I do the negative, if possible. But that's how I sort of set it up in my head. That's a great way to start the day. Exactly. So yeah. I know I don't have, you know, if I see something, I know I don't have time to deal with it. So I'm like, I'm just going to block it out and going to look and see how nice it is. And then, you know, at, at nighttime, it's like, okay, I've got some time. Better deal with, deal with this mess. Right. And you can walk around with a drink in your hand. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. That's the best way to garden. <laughs> Arlene Simon is our guest, the plant lady. We'll take a short break. We'll come back and answer your questions. 866-331-8255 or 916-576-1578. Email, send it to Fred at FarmerFred.com. And we will continue answering the questions you've been posting at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page as well. As we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with the plant lady, Marlene Simon, we're answering your gardening questions, and we will delve into the questions you've been sending to the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. And I notice on the, the podcast uh, description I wrote for this show, that because this show will be a podcast soon after it's done at noon, that you can uh, listen to wherever you get your podcasts, including the iHeartRadio app, that Marlene will be talking about caring for succulents and lavender and mulching. So I figure, well, let's make me an honest person. Let's talk about that now. Now, we talked about lavender, Marlene, over on the KFBK Garden Show. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you wanted to add to what you said there? Um, really, I just can't stress enough that, you know, drainage is key. Um, and that pruning back after, you know, in the fall is key to keep a nice, compact, healthy, longer living um, plant and also you know just look for the crosses the straight english lavender the true english lavender like i said in my opinion just doesn't do quite as well in a standard garden garden soil um but and then there's a great one called lavandula i think it's panada that if it's in a happy spot will bloom year round for you it doesn't have the true lavender scent to me it has more of a lemony scent but it's the uh, i think it's the I think it's the Canary Island Lavender. I could be completely crossing my common names with that. But it has a, it, it's also known as like the Feather Leaf Lavender, but blooms year-round. And it's just a phenomenal plant. It doesn't handle the cold as well as the others. Mm. Um, but still, it's a great, great lavender. So you would recommend instead of the English Lavender, then the Spanish Lavender? Um, I would actually recommend the lavandulin crosses, the heterophyllas, uh, the uh, even the French dentatas, but then the ones that are, are crosses of the intermedias, usually, like Grosso and Provence and uh, ones like that that handle. So I don't, Spanish lavender is great, but it tends to just sort of uh, bloom early, bloom quick, and that's that. All right. There you go. Lavender advice. So we've crossed that off the list. Succulent advice. Now, I got to tell you, with the whipsaw weather where it's 100 degrees and then 70 degrees, mm-hmm. if you've got succulents in containers outdoors, you got to be wondering. All right. I've heard Farmer Fred say on the radio that a container in full sun on a hot day can get up to 140 degrees in that soil. Uh, how, do, how do succulents manage? Uh, well, I mean, they store all, you know, water in their leaves. That's what makes them called succulents. So when the soil's bone dry, they're able to, you know, take that water that they're storing and utilize that. Um, what I think a lot of people make the mistake of assuming it's a succulent, it could go out into full, full sun. Um, a lot of these, quote, cute succulents, the echeverias and the sedums, um, can actually burn in, in full sun. 
and not do as well. So I always recommend, and this goes for almost all plants as well, too, in the Central Valley, is a little afternoon shade. But if you notice some big brown blotches in the center of your succulent leaves or they're just not looking as green and happy, a little afternoon shade. You know, of course, the, the cacti and the aloes and the abavis, they can take the brutal brutal afternoon sun so um, but if you have a little pot full of you know these cute succulents give them a little bit of shade now i i can understand a, a succulent living because of a lack of soil moisture but i can't understand mm-hmm. a succulent living in a container where the soil can get up to 120 130 140 degrees on a hot day um for sure so you're probably going to have a lot of root death on the outside of those pots. Hopefully, as you get to the center of the pot, the the soil has sort of uh, insulated and you're not as close to that hot, uh, hot outside. So, you know, they have small root systems just from being what they are. Um, so, so, yeah, you're, any, any plant living in a pot where it gets really hot, you're, you know, you pull it out of the pot, you'll have root death along, along the sides of where the hottest part's at. Um, so that's why growing in pots is, is tough. But you know, these plants are, you know, adapted to heat. Um, you know, sand gets hot. But, you know, of course, in the wild, they're able to uh, go down a little bit deeper, um, spread their roots out a little bit more than in a container. But uh, it's all about managing. You know, we're, we're, we're tweaking nature. And so it's, it's all about finding that, that sweet spot of where to grow. Is it okay to water succulents on a hot day if they're in a container? For sure. Okay. Uh, try to avoid, you know, the uh, water on the foliage, uh, water oh. in the morning. Um, so. Oh. But, All right. I'm just thinking of everything you know, I've done wrong. <laughs> oh, one key about succulents too is it's. The one difference between herbaceous plants and succulents is when you do transplant a succulent, you don't want to water it in right away. Um, the way their vascular system is, they're, you know, they're adapted to, to lower amounts of water. If you transplant a succulent, you're causing root damage no matter what, no matter what plant you're transplanting. You're, trans, you're causing root damage. And if you water it in right away, that water could get into the plant and it just doesn't have that quick ability to you know, um, compartmentalize and it's not used to that water and it could rot them out pretty fast. So I always Once tell again, people, you know, wait a few days. Everything you know is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is you're just busting me here. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, it, it, you've probably gone away with it because there's, of course, gradients. Like if you're going to transplant an echeveria or sedum, you could water those in. Do we recommend it? No, if you could remember a few days. But then a large cacti at the conservatory will wait, you know, a week to water them in just to hopefully get all those little wounds sealed up. So, you know, it's a gradient. So you could get away with it on certain ones, but other ones, you know, you may not even know why it died. You may think, oh, my gosh, you know, I didn't get enough roots or something happened. But, um, yeah, it could mush out pretty quick if you do that. All right. Would it help to move succulents that are in pots in full sun, move them to a shadier area when it gets up to 90, 95 degrees? Um, I think that, you know, yeah, they would benefit. Yeah, um, your cacti, aloes, agaves, they may turn a little red. That's a stress response. 
um, what they're doing is they're masking their chlorophyll, which is, you know, the photosynthetic material. And to photosynthesize, you require water. So when you see a succulent turning red, what it's doing is it's trying to minimize its water loss and not photosynthesizing. And it, they can look really pretty that way. But uh, and it's perfectly fine. They'll they'll adapt back. Um, so those plants, I would say, no, don't move them. They can handle it. Um, but your smaller, little more sensitive, uh, small leaf succulents, yeah. If, if, if you remember and you can move them up, so they're a little little bit protected. And with that said, I have uh, you know rows and rows of um, uh, succulents growing in uh, metal trough, and I, they barely get watered and. Yeah, by the end of summer, you're going to see them. Most succulents will cup up a little bit more. Their growth will be a little bit tighter. They'll turn different colors. Sometimes you'll have very wrinkled leaves because their their leaves are running out of water. Um, They may not bloom as nice. So it's, you know, I tend to torture my plants a little bit. (laughs) No, you're you're just teaching them to be tough. You're a Marine Corps drill instructor. (laughs) Exactly. And the tough one, they know if I do it sometimes and then they don't make it. (laughs) Yep. There you go. All right. Marlene Simon is our guest, the plant lady. We're answering your gardening questions. We'll have more with Marlene when we come back to get growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Along with the plant lady, Marlene Simon. You see her on the Channel 31 Sunday morning. Good morning, Sacramento. Is that what it's called? Good day. Good day, Sacramento. I'm on every other Sunday. Why didn't I write this down? I I feel like an idiot. But I'm busy on Sunday mornings. I think you can understand that. Exactly. Um, Yes, good day, Sacramento. (laughs) Channel 31. Um, you're there every other Sunday morning with garden tips. And you've got the podcast, the Flower Power Garden Hour. Yes, exactly. And you've got YouTube videos and Instagram Mm -hmm. stories and all that stuff. All that stuff. Are you doing TikTok? I know how it is. Yeah. No, no. I don't have Twitter (laughs) and I don't know. I mean, I I can barely keep up with what I have. Uh, Yeah. And then I got into my head that I'm going to write a book. So now I'm, I'm... You know, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. I know how it goes. Yeah. 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 It's, just, it's, it's in us. We just, yep. you know, I mean, you know, I love gardening and I love to share my garden knowledge and my failures, which is also knowledge, you know, so you know, I want to see people succeed. So I'm doing what I can. Well, speaking of failures, I, here's a question po- posted on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page that sounds like a nursery failure. Virginia writes in mm. with a picture and says, I bought two fuchsia plants last Wednesday. They looked fine mm. until yesterday. The leaves now have yeah. yellowish patches. I tried scraping it off one leaf and the leaf broke apart. They are on the west side of the house under the overhang oh. in sun for about three hours oh. in the late morning and then bright shade what is wrong? And yes, there are uh, considerable numbers of uh, ye- yellowish, rust-like patches uh, on the leaves in the picture she uh, sent in, uh, along with a lot of, uh, m- shall we say, marginal necrosis, as I'm fond of saying. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Well, you know, fuchsias, they, they like more humidity. They don't do 
for the most part, I'll say. Of course, it's going to be like the avocados. There's people who are like, I've got a huge collection of fuchsias. Um, they need need cooler temperatures in the afternoon. So I'm wondering, even if that spot is in the in the shade, if it's hanging, it's up in that area, and you know they get dry a little bit. You're going to have. Uh, Dead leaves, uh, low humidity. They're gonna, they're gonna, their leaves are gonna dry up. They also uh, fuchsias off uh, fuchsia mite, but that doesn't sound like it's got no. the mite yet. But it's, I, I believe, I mean, without seeing the picture, but just sounding it, it's in the location it's at. That's a pretty um, and dry spot. So if she can move it to maybe where it just still, if that. And then, but in a cooler spot, possibly, where it's maybe not a west exposure, even if it's in the shade, it's still in that heat, probably from reflective heat. Um, they're tough. They're tough to grow, to grow around here. Yeah, I would almost say put it on the north side of the house and see how it does there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, if it's uh, in that pot, then... You know, it's in a pot, too, so it's going to dry out pretty fast. It's going to need – they require more water than, than you know, a drought-tolerant plant, for sure. Yeah, I just can't see the extents of the extension of the problems I'm seeing on these plant leaves happening in just a matter of two or three days. Yeah, that that's, the, the, that's the pro- definitely a location. Yeah, that the problem existed yeah. before she bought that plant. Oh, okay. More, more okay, than – like I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. I would be curious to see what these, it looked like when I was new. Yeah, those nurseries sell these fuchsias in these hanging pots and pristine, beautiful. I mean, I fall for them, so, you know, look at them and go, oh, I know I can keep it alive. And I'm like, no, you're going to kill it. No, but I want it. <laughs> the, good, the good plant angel and the bad plant angel on my shoulders just like, you know, uh, you know, with my knowledge kicking in that it's going to be more of a struggle than 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 it's worth, sadly. All right. We have time for one more question here. And it's okay. uh, from uh, Susan, who says, I am researching about killing nut sedge online. Oh. I have a horrible infestation. I've been methodically pulling for about eight years now. I came across posts talking about using horticultural molasses to increase microbial growth in the soil which is supposed to make it inhospitable to nutsedge. I've read some posts calling that malarkey, some singing its praises. I would love your opinion on it. So, Mythbuster, what do you think? Yeah, no, so, no, molasses definitely does increase. That's what I use for my compost tea as a starter. I add some molasses in it. So it does increase microbial activity for sure, but dumping it in the soil isn't going to help because you got to dig out the nutsedge tubers. So she's just pulling, she's just pulling the top part off. She needs to dig down in there and and remove all the little tubers that are, that are spreading and coming back. So, um, no, and and, you know, nutsedge would be probably more happy with better microbial activity. So I would see it would actually (laughs) backfire (laughs) and you'd have a a better crop of nutsedge maybe you'll get a, a colony of ants too <laughs> there you go yeah <laughs> yeah nutsedge is best too. dug under yeah. as opposed to dug. pulled because you leave all the nutlets behind 
Yep, so. you need to dig them up. So, and then don't let them go to seed. So, the flowers are sometimes people aren't even aware that those are the the flower is setting seed because they just don't look like it. So, you it's twofold. You can't you have to cut it down so it doesn't set seed, and then you have to dig up the as you say nutlets and tubers mm-hmm. because it's just spreading. And of course, they love really wet area. And they'll grow in dry areas too, but just also make sure that area has good drainage and and. If it's an area where you don't need to irrigate, turn the irrigation off yeah. for a while to just kill it off because they tend to grow in more wet wet spots. I, I just had a great idea for a horror movie. Nutsedge marries Bermuda grass and takes over the world. And they make baby bindweed plants. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Is that it? And Nutsedge and a Bermuda marry and then you get bindweed. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yes. <laughs> There's a movie there. All right. We there have to. Well, the, I, I hear the dogs barking, so I guess it's time for okay. you to leave. <laughs> and, All right. But Marlene, Thanks thank you for, for having me. Thank you for joining us here on uh, Get Growing. And of course, uh, your website, MarleneSimon.net. If you just do an Internet search for the plant lady, I bet somehow you would be on the first page of those search results. I am. I have Googled myself. It's a good idea, too. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Marlene, again, thank you so much. And be sure to check out her podcast, The Flower Power Garden Hour, as well. Thanks, Marlene. Thanks. Talk to you later. All righty. Bye-bye. All right. Coming up uh, after the news, we are going to have a garden grappler, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. Uh, There is a clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. I think somewhere in the comments section under Marlene's picture of her talking into her loofah, uh, you'd find the clue. Also, at FarmerFred.com, just click on the link that says A Clue for the Garden Grappler, and uh, you should have a pretty easy time with this one. Caller 5 gets a real nice prize, a peach tree. What sort of peach tree? I'll tell you about that after the news. And uh, when we come back, too, we're going to be uh, replaying a segment with Christine Stein, citrus-based, citrus heights-based artist, who created this beautiful homage to Prince, the artist formerly known as Prince, with uh, with a photinia. You'll have to check it out. It's coming up as we continue with Get Growing. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet. If you are up on your vegetable planting, it's June. You can still plant a summer vegetable garden. June is a perfect time. The soil is warm. Soil temperatures now around the valley are in the low 70s. That's perfect for getting new, quickly growing plants established. So I want you to name for me a vegetable that you could plant in your garden in June via seed or transplant in our area or in your area. I just hope your area is my area. Name a vegetable that you could plant in your garden in June via seed or transplant. All five callers get a prize, special bonus prize for caller five. Uh, gets a bonus prize. That bonus prize, caller five, would get the Blushing Pearl Peach Tree from tomorrowsharvest.com. I'll have details for you about that tree uh, coming up uh, when we uh, talk to the contestants. The numbers to call in 
916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. Name a vegetable that you could plant in your garden in June via seed or transplant. Good luck. While you're uh, ruminating on that, I pulled out from the Farmer Fred Archives of Fine Interviews an interview with Citrus Heights artist Christine Stein. Christine did an homage a couple of years ago to the artist Prince, the musician Prince. You know Prince. At the time, I think in the mid-teens, 20-teens or so, he had a rather big afro. Well, she did an artistic rendition of Prince's face on plywood and placed that plywood inside her, her Fotinia bush, which she had trimmed to resemble Prince's Afro hairdo. It was truly amazing. And it was and today, June seventh, it would have been Prince's sixty second birthday, I do believe sixty second or sixty third birthday. So in honor of uh, the anniversary of his birthday, this seems like a good segment and we talk gardening, but it's what a wonderful use of a Fotinia plant to turn it into Prince, I tell you. And uh, Christine Stein in Citrus Heights was the artist. Uh also while you're ruminating on the garden grappler, uh we will give uh, a listen to what we said. Hi, everybody. Farmer Fred on the road, and we all know the value of mulch. Mulch does a whole host of good for your garden. It suppresses weeds. It keeps the soil temperature moderate. It keeps the soil moisture at moderate levels as well. And as it breaks down, it feeds the soil. And that's why Prince has hair. What are you talking about, Fred? Well, let me tell you. I'm here in Citrus Heights with artist Christine Stein. We're here on Chancery Court in Citrus Heights, where Christine has constructed a monument to Prince with a Fotinia for his hair. And when the Fotinia is in bloom like it is now, it's just absolutely gorgeous. So you must be a big fan of Prince, Christine. Oh, yeah, but people who come here are even bigger fans. Ah, oh, how far away have people come from to see this? Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> and some people from Europe say they're going to come here, but I haven't seen them yet. <laughs> well, it is amazing. Uh, in what era of Prince did he have an afro like that? This, uh, the picture I took it from was from 2014 from his Artificial Age album. So what was the inspiration? What did you have to do to have Prince with a Fotinia hairdo? At first, it was um, a Bob Ross mural. I wanted to, you know, make the <laughs> bush prettier because the bush was pretty ugly when I moved in. You know, it was out of control. So I, I rounded it and I put a picture of um, Bob Ross there. It only lasted a couple of months before it fell. And then I had to put a new one in. And I heard that um, Prince just passed. And I was like, I'll make a tribute to Prince. And I saw a picture of him online. I thought it was really pretty. So I um, painted it. And it lasts about two years before that fell, too, because um, I painted on plywood. So this time I actually uh, varnished it. <laughs> so maybe it'll last longer. Um, after the first time it flowered, I was like, this is really this is really pretty and I don't want it to um, go away. So I painted a, a new mural where the sunglasses come on and off because I like both pictures. I didn't know which one I wanted to choose. 
Now, the beauty of this uh, Photinia in bloom, it, it does. Well, actually, you know what it reminds me of is the cover to the Mott the Hoople album, The Hoople, which has something very similar to that. But the blooms in the Photinia just set it off. But you were saying that it really didn't take its current shape or form until somebody dumped some mulch in front of it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so I painted um, the painting of Prince in 2016, and then, you know, it wasn't blooming for as long as I could remember. It was, you know, really uh, barren bush. And then somebody dumped all this mulch, and I was, I was trying to take a picture of the license plate I, I didn't get to. And like a couple months later, it just started blooming with all of these flowers and bees. Well, the bees didn't bloom. They just came. <laughs> and birds. And it was so beautiful. And my husband told me to come outside and take a picture of it. And I, and I was stunned because it was beautiful. And I didn't know mulch could do that. Mulch, as it breaks down, does feed the soil. So if you had a struggling fetinia there, then that uh, mulch certainly helped feed the plant. And it, it, the fetinia is doing what it normally does in the springtime, which is to put out new growth of red leaves and, of course, the white flowers that attract the bees. And you're right, a photinia plant like that does attract all sorts of birds because to them that's a safe haven, especially for the small birds. Yeah, usually the birds that um, only tweet at night are in there. So <laughs> I can hear them all night, um, but they only stay here for a couple of weeks and then they move on. It's a beautiful plant. And you do you water it? The sky waters it. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. I mean, a, a photinia plant, if it's in a, a low-lying area and if your neighbors have their sprinklers on, it might catch some of that water. Um, yeah, I think Sacramento does a really good job. The sky does a really good job at um, watering it for me. I only water my um, boxes with mulch inside of it. Um, I didn't think that anything would grow if I just filled them with uh, mulch, but I had to put the mulch somewhere, so I made garden boxes. And my plants are still alive after a year. Now, this also is amazing. Now, you showed me the picture of the mulch that was dumped into your yard by accident by some trucking firm. They had a dump truck, and it looked to be like about a 10-yard load of mulch. So you spread out some underneath the photinia, and then you had all this leftover mulch. And you have these raised beds here on your side yard that are about two and a half feet tall and about anywhere from four feet to six feet long. And you've got succulents in them, and they're growing just in mulch. Yep, just in mulch. Nothing else. And if you dig just even a couple of inches below, you can see um, all the how it's composted and how rich it is. And it's still very moist, even though I haven't watered it in like weeks. Well, that's okay. It's been a wet winter, so I'm <laughs> yeah. sure it's fine. And But kids, don't try this at home. I mean, you can try growing in straight mulch as an experiment, but it really depends on the source of that mulch, uh, just how uh, nutrient-rich it, it might be. I think you got really lucky, Christine, and got yourself 10 free yards <laughs> of, of nutrient-rich mulch. Yeah, that, that was that was very surprising. I didn't think I would like it, and but it has um, made my garden bloom, and it keeps the flooding away actually it, it absorbs into the um, mulch very well and all the mulch that you've spread around the yard too it, it looks great you truly do have the house of mulch <laughs> yeah and oh gosh it takes the weeds away too i used to have a lot of weeds um up to you know up to four feet tall um when i moved in and has kept it away for gosh several years now um just now it's a couple of weeds are coming up only because the mulch has disintegrated so much over the years you are a testimony to the power of mulch. Yeah. It's created a, a 
a beautiful portrait of Prince that the picture you've posted on Facebook, elsewhere circulating on social media, has attracted a lot of interest. You, you said you had people coming here from as far as Atlanta to see it. Oh, yeah. I would love some more mulch <laughs> um, because uh, my mulch is, uh, has um, composted away um, and I've used it for um, my garden beds. I keep on adding it from the ground into my garden beds and then keeps on feeding my plants. and. I do need some more. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what this mulch really is. It, it's not a, a straight mulch, per se, that you might buy from a, a, a sand and gravel yard. These are chipped uh, and shredded tree parts. It was probably a tree company that dumped the load here. Instead of taking it to the dump after they trimmed a tree or, oh, yeah. or took a tree down, they chipped and shredded it, had it in their truck, and then backed up the truck and dumped it in your yard for whatever reason. But uh, you ought to thank them. Yeah, I'll thank them. <laughs> if they could come forward <laughs> I could use some more like five more yards that'd be great <laughs> chipped and shredded tree parts are probably the best mulch because they uh, intertwine so well they don't blow away mm -hmm. and it looks nice I really like the color of chipped and shredded uh, tree parts after they've gone through a chipper shredder and uh, it does a whole host of good yeah yeah I think it was a tree company because I have a whole bunch of logs too <laughs> so yeah it's, I love mulch it's, it's really nice especially this one if you, if you just dig down a little bit. We're, yes. we're, we're digging down into the mulch pile now. And yes, excellent. <laughs> it's basically turning into its own soil. So that's why, uh, because it is breaking down, you're having success with the plants, especially mm -hmm. that beautiful fetinia that is now Prince's hairdo uh, here in Citrus Heights. Christine Stein, artist, no doubt. And a, even though you deny being a gardener, you're very successful. <laughs> you know, I credit it all to the mulch. <laughs> I love it. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Christine. Thanks for coming. Coming up, Garden Grappler will get to your answers. The question today is, name a vegetable that you could plant in your garden in June via seed or transplant. So we'll get to your answers. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, we are in the midst of the Garden Grappler. We have five people lined up who say they can name a vegetable that you could plant in your garden in June this month via seed or transplant. All five callers get a prize. Special bonus prize for caller five. Because as you know, uh, in the Garden Grappler, you, ca you cannot repeat an earlier answer. And today's... Uh, prize for caller five if they're correct is a nice peach tree it's called the blushing pearl peach tree from tomorrowsharvest.com it has a beautiful tight growing dense canopy unique sweet flavored white flesh and it's a very narrow growing so it's a columnar in shape and it produces large full-size fruit so that's from tomorrowsharvest.com courtesy of them so when we get to caller five, that'll be nice. All right. But caller number one in the meantime is Christina in West Sacramento. Christina, go ahead. Give us a vegetable that you could plant uh, from seed or transplant this month. Oh, how about carrots? How about carrots? Let me check my list here. I have two references I use. Uh, one is the Farmer Fred vegetable planting calendar. The other is the Sacramento vegetable planting calendar. Uh, from the Sacramento County Master Gardeners. We are both agree June is not a good month to plant carrots. Darn. <laughs> okay. Well, take a take a take a second shot, shot at it, would you? Okay. Uh how about potatoes? 
Yes, you uh, sweet potatoes can be planted from uh, transplants. So yes, from slips. So yes, sweet potatoes would work just fine. There we go. Whew. All right. Yay. Yeah. What do we have for everybody today, Fred? Well, the Farmer Fred Vegetable Planting Calendar, so you'll never make that mistake again, Christina. And, Wonderful. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm going to send you a note card with a stamped envelope. I want you to send it to somebody who's living alone because there is a, an amazing number of people that, you know, you don't see them and you don't know that there are problems. But there are a lot of people living in fear of, of coronavirus and whatever else may be going on. And they just need some reassurance that everything's OK. So I'm sending you and all five callers. Uh, a self-addressed envelope and a note card to uh, send a nice note to somebody who's living alone. One group I can think of of people who are living alone right now are people in assisted living facilities and nursing homes who may be in lockdown, who can't even congregate with each other. They're getting their meals served in their room, and so they can't even socialize with anyone. And uh, family can't visit, and it's it's a pretty nasty situation, so they could use a, a a nice encouraging card yeah thank you oh, i'll do that thanks christine i appreciate it thanks for calling in and telling us about sweet potatoes <laughs> okay bye-bye. all right bye-bye all right who's caller number two in today's garden grappler it is debbie in oroville debbie go ahead and give us a uh vegetable you could plant from seed or transplant in june corn corn any particular kind of corn Sweet corn. <laughs> sweet corn. That works. Yep, yep. You can plant definitely plant sweet corn from seed or transplants uh, during the month of June. In fact, you probably should wait until June for the best growth to plant it. So, yeah, corn. Excellent answer, Debbie. So I'll be sending you the Farmer Fred uh, vegetable planting calendar as well as that note card with a stamped envelope for you to uh, move forward to somebody who could use it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for calling. Caller number three in today's Garden Grappler, it's Jim in Sacramento. Jim, go ahead, give us that June vegetable you would plant. Oh, it would have to be squash, zucchini squash, summer squash. I think summer squash is a very good answer. Yes, indeed. Some We'll call it summer squash just for the heck okay. of it. Good All answer right. there. Yes, uh, if, if you're... you're not too late to plant your zucchini, you can go ahead and do it in June. It's okay. You'll just get plenty of it later in the summer no problem jim good answer i'll be sending a quick question be my guest well i tried to get in you were talking about container uh, uh, gardening in containers and i'm trying to grow my cucumbers and my zucchini in five gallon uh barrels or five gallon containers and i have drip line and i'm wondering how much you know how how much water per hour to put in it. I, I typically run my drip line a couple of hours when I run it, so I was thinking maybe a half-gallon per hour dripper or a gallon per hour. Five, the, the, the big limiting factor there is the size of the container. A five-gallon container is pretty small for a plant that puts on massive growth like a cucumber or a squash or zucchini. And if you... I mean, you can go ahead and try it, but you're going to have problems when it gets up to 100 degrees keeping that soil moist because as the roots grow in those plants, it's going to take up more volume and it's going to need more water. And I would, if you if you insist on keeping them in five-gallon containers, I would surround those pots with something to keep the sun from hitting directly the pots themselves. 
And then I would be running that drip. Well, I'll tell you what I do. I, I'm growing zucchini in half barrels right now. And I have a micro sprayer on each one, which puts out, oh, say, in, in little fingers of water in a 360-degree pattern. That's, that's putting out about eight gallons of water per hour. And I will turn that on for 15 minutes twice a day on a day like today because of the wind and probably three times a day when it gets up to 100 degrees. Okay. But uh, good luck with that. Well, see, I had a friend that did it. So I ran okay, out all right. Yeah, no, give it give it a shot. I mean, you're, you're, shot. you're at the mercy of the weather. That's the only thing in a five-gallon container. So The weather's always so nice. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, did I mention that I, I bought umbrellas to protect my zucchini in the hot you afternoon, did. too? I, I heard that <laughs> earlier this morning. Yes, I and I did. And, and it, it, so far, so good, I must say, because it, where it is is in a really hot area with a lot of reflected heat from a south-facing fence and, of course, a concrete patio. So, uh, yeah, good luck to all of us, Jim. There we go. We'll see what it does. All right. Thanks. Thank Bye-bye. You. All right. Caller number four in today's Garden Grappler, it's Tom in Sacramento. So, Tom, what would you plant during the month of June? How about okra? O-K-R-A, okra. When do you plant okra, Fred? You would plant it in June. The The ideal months for planting okra from seed, April, May, June, and July. Good answer, Tom. I like that. Are, are, you, planting, are you planting okra? Yes, I have okra on the ground right now. You know what's great about okra are the flowers it produces later on. They're just gorgeous. Oh, they're really pretty. Yeah, they are. All right. And, and Tom, what do you, how do you prepare okra for, for eating? I just put it in the steamer and eat it. I like the taste of it. Okay. All right. So you just steam it. All right. And, yeah, and that works for it. you. A little slippery, but it's tasty. <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> Tom, I'll be sending you the Farmer Fred Vegetable Planting Guide as well as uh, that uh, note card with a stamped envelope for you to forward to somebody who's uh, living alone or, or forced in a lonely situation. Just sort of cheer them up, okay? Thank you. appreciate it. Can I ask you a quick berry question? Sure. I have blackberries, and they've, um, they've started to harvest, and... They're um, plump, but some of the berry doesn't mature. It, it still is hard and brown. Could that be a lack of water? That is more, there's a mite issue that is probably causing that. And there's a name to it, which escapes my brain right now. But yeah, it looks like uh, part of it's black and part of it's kind of red. Part that, of it is just brown and hard. Yeah, Um I think that's more of a mite issue, but if you're listening next week, Pam Bone, berry expert, will be with us to uh, okay. talk all about berries, and that will be a good question for her next week. Okay, I'll, I'll call her next week. Good. Glad to do it. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Bye. Uh, all right. Bye-bye. And caller number five in today's Garden Grappler, it's Gail in Vacaville. Gail, you got room for a peach tree? I sure do. <laughs> well, what do we have for you? Well, it, if you're correct... If you can name a vegetable you would plant in June that isn't a sweet potato, sweet corn, summer squash, or okra, I have for you. From tomorrowsharvest.com, the Blushing Pearl Columnar Peach. It's a mid-season to late mid-season variety. It's a, it's a very narrow tree, so it can fit in a small area, but it produces large, full-size fruit. It has sweet white flesh, 
snappy pink red blush skin it's a freestone peach low chill hours showy pink blooms in the spring and it's self-pollinating but as uh, always uh, peach trees always do better with a friend nearby still the blushing pearl columnar peach can be yours courtesy of tomorrowsharvest.com if you can name that fifth june planting vegetable well i just planted pumpkins how about pumpkins how about pumpkins? That would be winter squash. When do you plant winter squash, Fred? You would plant them in June from seed or transplants. Good answer. We'll say pumpkins. And congratulations Thank on getting you. on getting that uh, from tomorrowsharvest.com, that columnar blushing pearl peach. That'll be coming your way. I have a quick question, too. If I'm... I have time. Be my guest. Perfect. Um, I want to plant some zinnias for cutting should I plant them from seed or starts? Uh, if you can find the starts of the flower design you want, go that way. But it's not too late to start zinnias from seed. I, I'm doing it as we speak. And it's uh, and they, they prefer the warmer soil. They'll grow a lot quicker. The beauty of planting zinnias from seed is you can get the varieties you want with some dramatic flowers. A lot of the zinnias sold at nurseries all kind of look the same. And, I mean, if that's the flower design you want and the height you want, well, go for it. But if you want taller ones or... Uh, spidery-looking ones or ones of different colors, uh, you can get a lot more variety uh, in, at the seed rack. But uh, the choice is yours. Wonderful. Thank you. Gail, thank you. And enjoy your new peach tree from tomorrowsharvest.com. I will. Thank you so much. All righty. Bye-bye. All righty. Good going, folks. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, what are we doing, Fred? Well, I think what we're going to do is talk about parsnips what's a parsnip fred we're gonna find out this is the time to plant it as we continue with get growing on talk 650 kste get growing continues with farmer fred talk 650 kste here again fred hoffman Earlier on the KFBK Garden Show, we were talking with garden author Matt Mattis about his new book, Mastering the Art of Vegetable Gardening, and we talked all about Celtus. Go back and listen to the podcast of that show if you want to discover an interesting new edible ornamental Celtus, C-E-L-T-U-C-E. But let's continue our conversation with Matt about his book, Mastering the Art of Vegetable Gardening, with some of the other featured crops he has in this beautiful, excellent book. Matt has uh, traveled the world looking for unusual vegetables for you to try in your yard. And uh, he has a wonderful saying, treat your vegetable garden as your own private fantasy supermarket. And Matt, in your book, in talking about all the various vegetables you can grow, you come back to a very important point that what you grow in your home garden is going to taste better than what you find in the supermarket. Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm kind of a foodie. So, you know, why we have why we keep vegetable gardens today is different than, let's say, why our parents or grandparents or great parents may have had a vegetable garden. You know, then it was oh, it was a victory garden or we need to save money. And I I think today it's more like let's grow something that tastes better, ultimately tastes better, but it's a better quality. And for me, it's often something I can't find at, a, at you know, the local supermarket. 
In the last year, I've discovered the joys of such things as pak choy and joy choy and uh, Malabar spinach as unusual edibles that are, are common in some cultures, just not common to us. But uh, they're certainly very enjoyable. What are some of the, un, I won't say unknown, but some of the vegetables that are unfamiliar to most Americans that you would like to see them try? Well, I think on on the early part of the show, we did talk about saltus, which is a, a lettuce that's grown for its stem. Um, but, you know, they're in, you know, in seed catalogs now, there are new vegetables showing up all the time. And they're not really new. They're just, you know, being reintroduced, if you will. Uh, many of the Asian greens in here in New England, of course, it's, you know, we have to grow them as a fall crop and they're done by Christmas. But any, any of the Asian brassicas, so anything in the cabbage family that's grown for its green, so the bok choys and the tatsois, and anything uh, in the mustard or cabbage realm is, is grows best here. And I would assume for you as a fall, winter, even early, early spring crop. Right? Um, until it gets too hot, they do fine. That's right. There are fewer insect problems in the cool weather. Speak for yourself. (laughs) Yeah, it must be wonderful in Massachusetts to be able to grow those things while the insects are dying off around you. Uh, We we have uh, 12-month-a-year aphid and whitefly issues here. Let's talk a little bit about some root crops that are popular to grow in our area, and they're probably uh, popular with you because you've written about them in your book, Mastering the Art of Vegetable Gardening. And uh, one of my newly found favorites is probably something that I didn't like as a child but have grown fond of it now, especially this time of year, and that's parsnips. Yeah, parsnips are, and here in New England, it has a long history for parsnips. You know, they basically, these go back to the pilgrims. So if you're growing root vegetables, you know, we all know carrots, we all know beets, but but parsnips are, they're interesting because I would assume most of us have tasted parsnips now, but I think few people have grown them. Um, and if you have grown them, they seem to be prone with some problems. They, they look fine, the plant looks fine, but then you, you attempt to pull the root out and you end up with something that looks like a baseball and not, you know, a, a, a foot and a half long Parsnip. And we're trained, I think, to to know to be familiar with parsnips by what we find in the supermarket, which, you know, crops that are designed to fit in a poly bag. So they're a foot long and they're trimmed on the edges. But what I think a lot of people maybe don't know, and I encourage you to look on YouTube for exhibition parsnip growing, is that in the UK, in England, uh, parsnip growing is competitive parsnip growing is a sport and uh, they can grow parsnips you know three four feet long so i took some of those tips that these crazy guys are using which they might be growing them in pure sand or in potting mix and a hole drilled into a barrel an oil barrel and they grow them from seedlings i tried to to use that method in the home garden which makes a lot of sense for root vegetables especially here in new england where we have rocky soil so I, I lay it out in the book, but in a few steps, you're drilling a hole and you're filling the, the hole with a very soft, soilless mix, like a pro mix or any soilless potting mix, and then laying in the seed carefully on the surface. Or I even try what the what the British do is lay in a seedling, which seems crazy for a root vegetable. But if it's grown perfectly well and you ensure that the seed root, that tap root, is perfectly straight when you set it in and lay the soil around it, you 
you can, and I have ended up with, you know, three foot long parsnips if you so need one that long. And you mentioned in your book that uh, sometimes you'll start them in long, narrow pots, pots that out here we call tree pots. But I think back there, they're called root trainers. And they're basically just long, narrow pots that allow for a root crop to get some length to it before you uh, transplant it. Yeah, it's, it has to be done very carefully, like I said. But um, I mean, you will find on the Internet and in some gardening blogs that people pre-germinate their seed on paper towels or they people go to great lengths with parsnips. Uh, as long as you're very careful and you ensure that that root is perfectly straight when it's set into the soil, you, you're better off. You certainly don't want to, let's say, plant seeds and then transplant a seedling from the garden. But it can be done if you grow it carefully in, the, in a good soilless mix. Um, I would imagine you can do it also by setting the seed on the, you know, the ideal method of setting a seed on the soil in the garden and covering it lightly. The problem with that is, is parsnips can take, you know, weeks to germinate. Let's talk about harvesting parsnips. I would think you would have to be very careful digging the root out. Yeah, you do. In fact, if uh, if you've done it properly, your root can, the root tip is, you know, it, it uh, it's a thick root, but it'll turn into almost a hair-like root. So I think the British on their rules for measuring, they want to extract the entire root. But I go down about two and three feet with a, a root shovel and then carefully dig around the root as if you're digging a tree. And you can feel by tugging on it that it's and a parsnip is not as brittle as a carrot it's a little more woody so we'll extract carefully it is a root shovel the same thing as a trench sh- shovel yes yes and then what do you do with a, har- a parsnip i know we like to eat it raw in a salad oh really i've never had it raw now we it's something a, a new england farmer would have kept in a root cellar through the winter our house is 150 years old so we have a root cellar a cork lined root cellar it built into our cellar so I'm fortunate there that I can lay them in, in beds of sand where it's dark and it, it's about 35 degrees. But in a, you know, in a refrigerator drawer washed off and trimmed, it should last you know a few months. Wow. You just need a deep drawer to hold it. <laughs> That's, yeah, right. <laughs> what are some of the good uh, parsnip varieties to try? Well, Gladiator is classic. I always laugh at the names of, of the varieties because they always sound like something that's very large or massive and certainly people wanted a large parsnip back in the 19th century but most of them are british varieties um half lung guernsey which is an heirloom variety white spear is a good one but the gladiator is a f1 hybrid and javelin is a f1 hybrid and both of those you should find in like good seed catalogs like johnny select seeds or even some of the larger names like a burpee catalog you mentioned some of the heirloom and open pollinated varieties in your book like half lung guernsey and white spear do they have problems that the hybrids don't have no there there may be a problem with um some of the crowns being hollow but most of them are pretty because it's a root vegetable there are less problems with root damage like anything in the in apaca so that would be all of your umble umbellifers what we used to call them right your dill your parsley and and even parsnip the problem would be with caterpillars. It would be with, you know, butterfly and moth larvae. What's nice about growing parsnips here is you can plant them from seed uh, three times a year here in the valley. You can plant them in April and then in July and then again in October. Yeah, I'm a bit envious there. <laughs> uh, here you can plant them in the northeast, let's say zone five. They're sown in late March and April or seedlings set into the ground later. But certainly the ideal way is seed sown direct. Uh, but it's a long season crop. We can keep them through the winter and often they get they get sweeter with the ground freezing and they can handle ground freezing. 
but we'll throw straw on them so we can dig them up and under a snow cover. The name of the book is Mastering the Art of Vegetable Gardening. It's by Matt Mattis, and Matt uh, profiles many of your favorite vegetables in the book, uh, such as onions, garlic, asparagus, rhubarb, artichokes, cabbage, cauliflower, beets, Swiss chard, the lettuces, carrots, beans, okra, and, of course, the standards, tomatoes and peppers, as well as cucumbers and squash. It's really a beautiful book, well-written, and like I say, his philosophy is outstanding. Treat your vegetable garden as your own private fantasy supermarket and check out his blog as well growingwithplants.com is where you will find it growingwithplants.com and the name of the blog is growing with plants matt mattis thanks for a few minutes of your time today thank you fred you're listening to get growing on talk 650 kste to get growing with farmer fred talk 650 kste here again fred hoffman this portion is live welcome back to the program glad to have you along um let's take a look at the weather speaking of doing things live it's another week of whipsaw weather coming up for the southern sacramento and northern san joaquin valleys 74 the expected high today 84 on monday 92 on tuesday 96 on wednesday thursday 92, a little bit cooler. Friday, 85, a bit cooler. Saturday, 82, even cooler. It's going to go up. It's going to go down. For the third week in a row, we've got weather that makes you start scratching your head about watering your plants. Now, especially if your plants are in containers and it gets into the upper 90s, it may need water twice a day. And it may need water three times a day. I'm just warning you, especially if those containers are in full sun. Uh, Another thing that's happening in the way of weather over the next uh, 24 hours or so, there's a red flag warning posted for gusty northerly winds. And if you have lived here for any length of time, you know that gusty northerly winds brings very low humidities, which increases the fire danger. This red flag warning is in effect from 11 o'clock tonight to 8 o'clock Monday night for low humidity and breezy northerly winds. The National Weather Service in Sacramento says the affected area is the northern San Joaquin and southern Sacramento Valley, as well as the west side of these valleys into the Delta region. North to northwest winds to 20 miles an hour, gusting at times to 30 miles an hour, and humidities dropping to 10 to 13 percent with moderate to locally poor overnight recoveries that may only get into the 30% range. Hot, dry weather, windy weather, that raises fire danger, and we've already got a blaze going, and it's uh, not very contained at last report. Still only 10% containment of the Quail Fire, which is covering 1,400 acres northwest of Vacaville, south of 505, it started near Quail Canyon Road and Pleasance Valley Road, southwest of Winters. Started yesterday, and like I said, only 10% contained. It has uh, covered 1,400 acres now, so we're hoping that the winds cooperate at least for today so firefighters can get a handle on that fire and get most of it at least surrounded. 600 personnel are assigned to that fire. 30 engines, 9 bulldozers. We wish them health. We wish them good luck as uh, wildfire season 
now is officially underway. We've been fearing that it would happen soon, and it has. All right. KSTE Farm Hour coming up at 12 o'clock. We talk about the drought in California. There's a drought on top of everything else. Well, especially in far northern California, Interestingly enough, there isn't much of a drought. In fact, it's fairly normal soil moisture conditions in Southern California. But in Northern California, the drought is considered extreme up around Siskiyou County in that area. And then just a lot of dryness extending south to Stockton-Modesto area. And it's it's a drought. But up in uh, the Klamath Basin... Farmers up there are seeing their water supplies being cut off after they planted with one promise of water. And now that promise has been revoked and they may see their crops wither on the vine because of sharply cut water allocations. We'll have that story. Also, a little bit of good news with uh, virulent Newcastle disease in chickens ending in Southern California. We have that story. Uh, Also, uh, we we talk about... uh, the, the USDA uh, has a report on the food supply and how it will be consistent. Food supply is okay, but prices, though, are going up. No surprise if you've been to a supermarket lately. And also, uh, we talk about the trade with China. The uh, Sacramento Valley rice planting uh, season is wrapping up. Things are growing now. Pepper prices are going to be higher. And if you spray your almond trees with a tractor, you have a sprayer attached to your tractor, how fast should you be driving your tractor? Not very fast at all. We have that story. It's on the KSTE Farm Hour, noon to 1 o'clock on this very radio station, also available as a podcast right now, wherever you get your podcast. That would include the iHeartRadio app. All right. Questions? Email, Paul from Sacramento writes in and says, I should have sent this yesterday, but I didn't. Should I cut back salvias as I have with butterfly bush? My salvias are really out of hand, and they're not really in bloom right now. Well, the good news is, yeah, salvias actually can be pruned rather heavily. Generally, the best time to prune them is spring. And Yeah, I know it's spring, but it's kind of late spring. But, you know, you can give it a shot. They do recover quickly according to the one of my favorite reference books about pruning and training is from the american horticultural society it's called pruning and training and it says neglected plants may respond if cut back hard to near ground level generally speaking when you're pruning back salvias you can prune them back to the woody portions down below if you want uh some would say only go back by half or so but um, if it's an, really an overgrown salvia and it's not in bloom now, you can go ahead and prune those back. Ideally, if you'd done it last month or April, it would have been better, but I think you could get away with it now. Uh, and, of course, it depends on the variety of salvia you have, Paul. But uh, salvias, also known as sage, uh, do well when pruned back hard. I, I can attest to that. <laughs> I, I had to trim back salvias. They're getting so tall they were blocking the view getting out of the driveway. All right, so good question. I recommend this book heartily, uh, the uh, Pruning and Training uh, book from the American Horticulture Society. That and its sister book called Plant Propagation from the American Horticultural Society. Two very good, very complete reference books if you like pruning, training, or propagating plants. 
the propagation book uh, talks about the best ways for each plant of doing it from seed or cuttings or grafting and it has all the details and diagrams too for doing it as well so you you may want to check out that book uh I'll be back next week with another throwback edition of the KSTE uh, Get Growing Show. And don't forget, we have a new podcast out, Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred comes out twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays. The latest episode uh, has to do with apples, growing apples. The, The show is designed for beginning gardeners. However, I have learned something new every episode from the experts we're talking to and uh, recent episodes we've talked about apples about the do's and don'ts of what to add or not add to a compost pile how to water which you may think is a silly topic but in reality there are some good tips in there on especially watering new seedlings how long to water containerized plants and uh, watering established plants that'll be on uh, next tuesday's edition as well and a lot of uh, episodes dealing with tomatoes and tomato mistakes and growing tomatoes in containers uh, tips for planting and watering new seed beds, blueberries, mulch. We cover it all, especially for beginning gardeners. But like I say, uh, there's a lot that anybody can learn on there. What I really like about Garden Basics with Farmer Fred as a podcast, it's only 30 minutes long or less. So, you know, I don't take up much time with your ears. And you can read the transcript. I've got transcripts of the show there posted so if you're hard of hearing or just want to, you know, breeze through it, you can read it. Uh, the, the show description is also very complete. Or maybe you want to only hear a portion of the show uh, with the podcast. It's divided into chapters, so you can go right to the portion that you want to hear uh, on the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. Climbing the ranks of garden podcasts, and I'm thrilled. Thank you so much for listening to it. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. All right, it's uh, pretty close to time for me to get on out of here. Don't forget, this show is available as a podcast. Soon afterwards, Cameron will have it up and going as a podcast that you can get from the iHeartRadio app or your favorite uh, podcast uh, place. And uh, the same is true with the KFBK Garden Show as well. Next week on the program, our favorite originals, Master Gardener, Pam Bone, will be with us. And we're I have a funny feeling we're going to talk berries, about blackberries, raspberries, blueberries. It'll be a very nice show with Pam Bone next week on Get Growing, right here on Talk 650 KSTE. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your support all these years. Bye-bye.